Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm joined by Matt Paris from the Washington Times and Sam Fortier from the Washington Post as we dig into a lot of topics that should interest you. Chase Young, Brandon Sheriff, the quarterback situation, and rookie linebacker Jamin Davis. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matthew underscore Paris, and that's P-A-R-A-S. And you can follow Sam at Sam4TR. You can read my work on ESPN.com. I have a story up now about why that last game was important for running back Antonio Gibson and what it portends for the future of this offense. I'll continue to have three podcasts a week during the offseason as we rehash all things Washington and look ahead. I'll also have some shows that don't always include talking about the current team. So keep tuning in. It's always appreciated. With that, let's get to my conversation with Sam Fortier of the Washington Post and Matt Paris of the Washington Times. Okay, because I don't see you guys enough, I thought I'd have you on today. And, you know, it's, I, I guess we can't get, it's, it's like, you know, what Taylor Heineke told us that on Monday, like, oh, you know, we stuck around the locker room reminiscing all that. I kind of feel like we did that in the press room yesterday um, because nobody really wanted to leave, even though we couldn't wait to get out of that tent. Am I right? I don't know. I was pretty excited to keep hanging in that tent. It was about, it was a toasty 41 degrees, it felt like. Yeah, yeah well, my my fingers had warmed back up by the end, so it was, it was all good. So, <laughs> but what I wanted to do is to talk about what we heard on Monday and they, I, there was, they funneled through what 36 players, which is a record. I don't think I've done this. I've done this, you know, at least five years. And I don't think I've ever had that many. It would may have been two years. You wouldn't get that over two years, let alone one. So I credit them for giving us so many guys. Um, there's a lot to process. And then we of course talked to Ron Rivera, and Martin Mayhew on Tuesday. So I want to go over some of what was said, but in general, Matt, did anything stick out to you on Monday based on what you heard? Again, 36 people, a lot to, to process. But was there any what was a big takeaway from anything that was said for you? Yeah, I thought the, the number one thing was Chase Young and maybe the disconnect that still exists between Ron Rivera and Chase Young of, you know, Chase Young just wouldn't come out and say whether he was going to attend OTAs as much. And we can debate whether him showing up or not last season or, you know, not showing up was a big deal, but it, Rivera has clearly mentioned it kind of in the past few weeks of, Hey, we need every guy there. I don't think that's, you know, you don't have to read too far, too closely in between the lines to know who he's talking about there. And for Chase Young not to come out and say, I'm going to attend one way or another. Yeah, how big a deal is it, Sam? Yeah. I mean, we talked about this back we during did. OTAs, right? I mean, like, it's only a big deal if he doesn't perform and in this year he did not perform. And so when you don't show up, when your head coach is, is, you know, obviously not pleased that, that you're the only guy who didn't show up at all. um, I I think it's a big deal, particularly considering, you know, how big of a deal it was during his rookie year that Ron and he were so closely on the same page, especially, you know, down the stretch and he was developing into the guy that, Ron made his first pick, the number two overall pick. It's it's um, if, if Chase comes out and the ACL is fine and he balls out and he has, you know, 15 sacks next year, I, I don't think it'll be a big deal. But 
if if any of those things don't happen, if the less than optimal situation happens, then I think it applies more pressure to a situation that that looks as though, you know, there might be a little trouble there. What do you think he misses or missed in, in hindsight? And again, I'm, I'm with you. Like, those are voluntary sessions. So we all know that. And, you know, every coach wants every player there. We always know that as well. What do you think was missed from, from their, either their perspective or yours? What do you think was missed um, by him not being there? With him, I mean, you know, he's clearly the leader of that defense or seemed to be the leader of that defense. We can debate whether Jonathan Allen is that person now, but, you know, for him not to be able to set that tone, I thought it was really telling that Rivera said uh, on Tuesday that, you know, that the defensive line basically bought into their own hype that everyone did, but um, they didn't live up to those expectations. And I think maybe by him showing up earlier to having that full off season, maybe could have set that tone in for them to get on the, the same page faster. You know, it took them quite a while to start playing up to standards. So, I mean, who knows how much those type of practices contribute to that, but um, that, that would be my guess anyway. Right. I think beyond the football specific skills though, that those might've been uh, a big deal um, because especially when you consider rush lane discipline and the things that Ron talked about this year, you know, maybe just hammering home, what the team wants to emphasize. I think that's a part of it, but the bigger part is, you know, if you think back to 2020, uh, that week 10 at Cincinnati against Cincinnati, when John Allen kind of said, Hey, Chase, you know, you step into the middle and, and lead this pre pregame huddle and Chase takes it over. And then, you know, bec that becomes a regular thing. And he becomes that guy until he tears, you know, his ACL. And, and then John Allen becomes that guy, the leader again. And John has the contract, you know, the big contract. And obviously Chase is a focal point of this team moving forward, but, I do think the leadership, the credibility among your teammates, um, that is an important part of, of the OTAs deal. And I mean, that, you know, it's, it's, it just all, I guess, feeds on everything. And, and when you don't show up uh, and, and as Ron said, he bought into the hype as well. And, you know, when Chase talked about he and Montez breaking the, the combined sack record that I think that suggested that he was thinking about he and Montez uh, first. I, I mean, I, I think it all builds on everything there. It, it does. And you brought up, I remember when we talked about this before the season, about the leadership aspect, or even maybe in the spring, I think it was. And I think that's a, that's a big deal for them because he is a face of the franchise still and, and will be, should be for a few years. So I think that's why I think for them it's important. And then it's also what do you – what Rivera had said too is what are they working on? Are they introducing some new things that you need to know? Um, and, you know, I, I've seen guys who haven't come here. Deshaun Jackson would miss these, but he'd go out and do what he does every year because his role is very specific. You know, get open deep and make a big play. He knew the offense. It wasn't maybe quite as big a deal. But if you are a team leader and in, in the face of a franchise, I think they're going to want him to be there. So it was interesting that he wasn't ready to commit. We also don't know. And a part of it for him is. He doesn't know where his knee's going to be at that point to know what he can or can't do. So I think that that's another deal. Can do you guys look at him and I go back for him and I'm curious your opinions on this too. I go back for him and look at his second half of his rookie year because I want to see like what kind of player really can he be? Which was the the you know the real chase? And I think the rookie year I think he easily can be that guy. I think the second year at times he was trying to be something that he wasn't at times. 
which is, you know, maybe try to get the edge more and try to win with certain um, finesse. He's, he's, a, he's a power, power, power guy. He's got quickness and he's got strength. I think he can get back there pretty easily. What do you guys think? Yeah, it just depends how the knee shakes out. But uh, I don't. It, assuming it. right, assume, I'm going to assume that the knee will be okay. So I'll, I'm going to start there um, at some point, whether it's he gets it back to the start of the year. But I'll, I'm going to assume that the knee will be okay when he gets back out there. So but we'll just see how it goes because you know the the thing that they kind of made an excuse for him throughout the season when he wasn't playing well was oh he's facing chips he you know he, he's seeing all this extra tangible. <laughs> How does he handle that moving forward? And, you know, I, I think, you know, we've seen elite pass rushers be able to adapt to that stuff in the past. And so right. I, I think that he'll be able to to learn that as he faces more reps and, and gets comfortable. But, yeah, he has otherworldly changing speed and, and uh, great power. So, you know, I, I still he still has all the physical tools. So And I've otherworldly has been used to describe me, too, at times, Matt. So I appreciate you dropping that one. Sam, what do you think? <laughs> that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty remarkable statement for a guy who couldn't get his AirPods to connect for this. <laughs> uh, I didn't say when I say otherworldly, I'm not saying what world though. So it doesn't have to be a better world. So let's get that clear. Otherworldly right. doesn't mean better worldly. So let's go. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't mean technologic. You know, correct. That, the world I'm talking about probably has dinosaurs. So let you know. I'm glad we went back to uh, your childhood. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, the to Paris's point and to your point, I mean, physically, I mean, this guy went number two for a reason. He, he's, you know, I think if if he, he gets back healthy, then there's no reason to expect he can't physically perform the part. Right. I mean, um, but but it is interesting to me. I mean, last offseason, um, he changed trainers. He, he worked with his uncle, mostly who, who played at Virginia Tech. Um, Bernard Joseph to to work on his pass rush skills does he go to a, a different skills guy or does he you know change up his routine because obviously last year we know he was um, in Hollywood filming commercials but also he said he was on the LeBron James regime of of you know making sure that his skills were honed while he was right um, right doing those things does he change up that regiment after it didn't produce the results that he wanted and and to make one more point on that leadership thing you know, Chase has talked about um, he didn't he's never sought a leadership role. I think it's just a part of the fact that, like, teams often orbit around their best right, players right, and, right. and down the stretch that second half of his rookie year, he was the best player. And so when you think about and, and Ron, it, it comes to mind because Ron has talked about getting that middle linebacker, that veteran middle linebacker this offseason, in part because of the leadership. And he's talked about John Bostic. Um, I wonder if that is more prominent on his mind because you know, John Allen, the other guy that we were talking about in terms of leadership, I mean, he tried to, you know, he punched a teammate earlier this year. So if, who is your best player and, and are they willing, are they capable of leading all those guys? I think there's a vacuum right there right now, even though it seemed like you had two really strong guys, um, you know, coming into this year. So physically, can he get there? Can he get back to the power? Uh, I think so, but I'm curious to see if he adapts his approach uh, to those skills and see, and, and first of all, it was a love tap among siblings. Let's get that straight. Okay. <laughs> but with chase, I think you're, you're the bigger thing more than the OTAs is the approach to what are you working on? And that's why I say, I think if you're trying to be trying to incorporate more finesse, is that really who you are right now? And who he is right now is a guy when, when he would power through guys, he still can make an impact. 
And then I think it's also incumbent on the scheme to with those double teams and chips. And, and I'm with you, know, like you're going to see any great elite pass rush is going to get that. I mean, TJ Watt, I mean, I'm pretty sure they want to double team and chip him. He finds a way. Why is that? But I also want to see with the defensive scheme when they have Chase and Montez in there, stay aggressive. And I, and I bought into the, Hey, four man pass rush helps the coverage. And that's true. When you're getting home, if you're not, then you've got to help those guys out. And I, you know, I watched Dallas for how Dan Quinn used those guys. And I thought he was very creative with elite pass rushers or with really good pass rushers up there. And so I'd like to see that, which I think would help them out and create more opportunities for big plays for those guys. Cause you're not seeing guys get double teamed and chipped the way they were when, when Chase was in there. So it definitely is a different level, but I'd like to see them stay aggressive with that. Um, if you guys have any other points, I want to move on to Brandon Sheriff. The, the one last one I would make about Chase is that when I think about that second half of the year, his rookie year, I also think about those create, you know, those off script plays, which you don't really think about in terms of defensive ends, but that hit on Joe Burrow um, oh, yeah. you know, to force the fumble. Those are some of the things I didn't think that we saw this year um, as well. And, and whether that's him looping around the outside, taking himself out of the play, you know, those certain things. I mean, the effort was there. Um, and, and that's what we saw in the Joe Burrow play, but, but can he get back to coming across the field and, and making those plays off effort alone? Yeah, I think yeah. that's something that we need to see as well. There you yeah, go. I mean, just to add to that real fast. I mean, we, I was thinking about what he was said he was working on in the preseason and we all saw the handwork that, you know, I'm thinking of the Isaiah Wentz sack or not sack the horse fumble and the Patriots preseason game, you know, a lot of that didn't translate to the regular season. And so I'm interested to see whether his hands, uh, you know, help free him up some room as well. And I agree with that. And I think the hands are much more violent when he doesn't do the stutter stepping when he, again, he can just go, his hands are violent. And that's where I think you need, that's why I say, I don't think it's hard for him to get back there because he showed everything I'm talking about is what he showed his rookie year. I felt like he strayed a little bit from that. And I'll tell you what, so did they. So I think if he can kind of get back to some of that, I don't see any reason why he can't become what they had hoped he would be. But again, I, and that Matt, to your earlier point, I'm assuming in that I'm assuming good health and, you know, you hope for that for any player. So, but it starts with there, but I agree with the hands can be more violent when you're just going forward and using that power and strength and quickness that you have. Brandon share. So did we hear anything different from Monday when he told like last year, he told us like, I want to be here for a long time. I want to be this. And then franchise tag kind of said the same thing. Now, what are your thoughts on? And then, and then Mark Mayhew came out and, you know, I knew they had given him an offer between like 15 and 16 million for a year. And that would have made him the highest paid guard. Martin Mayhew publicly says that, which to me is a different step in this whole situation when they publicly say that. But what's your take on Brandon Sheriff? Sam, let's start with you. Every time Brandon Sheriff speaks about his contract, you have a little tape recorder and he just hits play. <laughs> you know, I, I want to be here forever. Uh, I, I, I like it here. Uh, you know, it's, up to, it's between my agent and the team, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Martin Mayhew's comment to me was interesting because that signaled to me a little bit of public pressure or positioning where it's like, hey, if this guy leaves, we have made a serious effort. And I think that it's important to kind of contextualize that because even if they did make him an offer, you know, three years for 45 or three years for 48 and, and you know, the AAV was between 15 and 16, I think that the team had already signaled by franchise tagging him twice 
that they were willing to pay him $18 million a right. year. So I think that they could have made a very competitive offer to make him the highest paid guard in NFL history. And it's also true that it would have been not in Brandon Sheriff's best interest to accept that deal right. because if, if that deal has what, $22, $24 million guaranteed, I mean, you're already making 18 guaranteed because they franchise tag you. So why would you, why would you give up Correct. that earning power in the future? So, but to me, Martin Mayhew saying that, uh, I think is public positioning. So if they don't re-sign him long-term, if he leaves, the team can then say, Hey, you know, we did, we tried, we did, we did our best. Um, but I think that really the, the actions speak louder than the words and the fact that they're willing to franchise tag him a second time, I think says all you need to know. And to your point, like once you put that, I mean, having covered the whole Kirk Cousins saga, once they put for him the first franchise tag, you knew it was probably over. And with Brandon, you knew it was going to be in a tough situation if a guy's willing to be patient. Because the other thing that he knew, I'm going to make $18 million this year. And if they don't franchise, franchise tag me a third time, which they wouldn't, but then I'm going to hit free agency next year. And that offer you gave me now, it's probably going to be better next year. And it's going to be starting my first year would have still been 18 because of what the franchise tag. So it is a hard thing. So if you're willing to bet on yourself, you're going to come out with more coin. And, you know, I know he likes, I mean, I've always heard that he likes John Matzkel. All those guys seem to, but I also wonder, it doesn't seem like there's been these serious negotiations going on to, you know, whether it's not a, this intense back and forth where they just can't work it out. It just doesn't seem like there's been ever any momentum, but Matt, I'm curious what your take on that situation is. Yeah. It, speaking of Kirk Cousins, it reminded me a lot of Bruce Allen's comments in 2017. Exactly. They attacked him the, the second time and, Bruce came out and even in that case uh, gave him, you know, laid out the numbers and those numbers itself were a little bit misleading because what Kirk Cousins can make with the franchise tag twice mm -hmm. is kind of the, the same thing. And so it was just an added year, but yeah, at least this time Martin Mayhew didn't call Brandon Braden or, or anything like that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that was the Kurt. Press yeah, that's right. Over Kurt, over. Kirk. Kurt. Yes. When I was told that it was because of Bruce Allen's, accent <laughs> right yeah, yeah it was an accent on being a whatever so um like but yeah, Kelly. That's, well in fairness his family loves louisiana um but you know with, with going back to the kirk situation too and at that time i remember writing that why would this like it may be a good offer for them it's not a good offer for kirk because he was gonna you know whatever he was gonna make stand to make approximately 30 million dollars more if you hit free agency. So you're passing up a lot of coin. And I had somebody here who was like, you're wrong on that. You're wrong. I'm like, well, how am I wrong? Like, where's the math? Show me how I'm wrong. Like, and the whole thing was they wanted him to do like to take less money to stay here, to help the team like Peyton Manning did whatever. And, and that's fine, but he doesn't have to do that. And I agree with them. I didn't, wouldn't have paid Kirk, Kirk cousins 30 million a year either. So I didn't think their offer was far from where the quality of quarterback he was, but the reality was he was going to make more coin on the open market. And so why would he then accept it? It doesn't matter if I think he's worth it. It's just reading the market. And I think in this situation, I don't think Brandon's going to get that much more, but I think it was, a, you know, it is a situation where I think it's, you're kind of caught now as to that, that, that price tag. Right. Yeah. Right. And, but the way I also look at it too, it's like, what is the point of coming out and saying that? Well, it's right. table for when he leaves and it, saying, Hey, look at us. We did, we did our part. And so you're you know, right by him, by him making that statement yesterday, I, I think it's a pretty clear indication that he's on his way out the door. I would agree with that. 
And, and, and just one more point there. I, I feel like oftentimes, you know, especially, I don't know about this situation, but in the Charles Leno case, I think their dollar amount in, in Charles Leno's target, you know, kind of lined up in, in the business, the business interests in both, you know, what both parties want out of it was, you know, aligned and that's great. But in Brandon Sheriff's case, I, I don't think that this means, you know, if, if Brandon says, Hey, this is not in my best interest to, to give up the earning power. And the team says, well, it's not in our best interest to give you $18 million a year for, you know, how right. many years it, it like, I think that there is a world in which both sides, you know, did what they thought that was best sense, yeah. and, 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 and that made sense to them. And then they just moved on. Like, I don't think there's a loyalty or a disrespect component to oh, this part. No. I, I agree. And I, I, and I agree with that. And I think, you know, again, once, if somebody's willing to use the, the franchise tag in their favor, they can really parlay that into great leverage and, and, and you'll be better off for it financially. So, and I don't, I'm not, if he leaves and, I don't know that I would pay Brandon Sheriff $18 million a year. You know, I, I just, I think you're getting up there and there's other guys. And I think as good as he is, I don't know that. I, I don't think, I think I would have a hard time doing that. Would you guys? Yeah. I mean, he missed five games again this yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the element we haven't touched on is that he, as good as he is, he, he misses a significant chunk of time pretty much each year. I mean, yeah. five games in a 17 game season isn't as bad, but you know, you, you still want him for more than that. Right. And he's earning, I mean, this year, um, he's earning almost double. He has almost double the next highest cap hit among guards. It, the name is escaping me at the moment, but he's earning 18 and the next highest cap hit is 11. So, I mean, it's not even anything against him. And I know that that's a byproduct of the second, the second tag. But, I mean, just when you look at the market, even though guards have, have gone up in the last few years, 18 is just still so wildly off of, right. of what everybody else is making. Yeah, I, I would my my thing would be go out and draft another guy somewhere in the second, third round or whatever, get a young athletic guard in there and you know balance that line a little bit because you're you're paying Leno right now, you're paid Chase Rouillet, you got a rookie on the right side. So maybe if you can get and maybe you get another rookie, that might be a tough sell because you got rookie or second year rookie on that right side. But I also think that it would give you some another young building block or unless you think Sadiq Charles can take over, but I'd still then go get another young piece for depth. Well, I mean, even if, even if they don't get, you know, even if they do get that depth piece, I think Wes Schweitzer has proven to be quite versatile and, and quite yes. productive I like in, in his time there. So, so, so either Wes or Sadiq, you have that training camp battle kind of like you had Wes and, and Eric last year and, you know, best guy takes it. And I would say, and, and I think, I think they both block with an attitude, which I like. And, you know, I think Wes, I think they both do. And, but especially Wes does that. I think where Wes, where you get caught a little bit is not, you want someone a little bit more athletic in the pass game and then on the move. And that's where, like, that's why I say, I'd look for that. If not, I'm okay with those guys. Cause I think they offer something in the run game. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think, you know, Schweitzer is a, great option to replace but I mean he ended the year hurt too I mean that that's the nature of that position yeah. but I mean any he, he's also entering the last year of his contract as well next year so I mean if you have a chance uh, to get a young guy in there and, and uh, can develop him then yeah I, I could easily see them using a second or a third round pick on that so quarterback is the next one which is the biggest one and you know bearing it in the third it's kind of feel like I'm bearing the lead a little bit but we're going to be talking about quarterbacks for a lot of this offseason and I think what we learned is they're going to look at every option. So that kind of covers it. But is there, do you guys have, Sam, what's your, what was your takeaway from what they talked about, whether it Ron 
um, and Martin um, especially. Yeah, and and we've talked before about the merits of drafting a guy versus signing or trading for a guy, and um, I think that you can explore all those avenues. I don't think that free agency or the internal guy um, will ultimately, you know, be the route that they take. So to me, I'm, I'm focused mostly on um, will they trade or will they draft, and, and if they draft, do they trade up? And the most notable takeaway for me was Ron sort of addressed the Matthew Stafford situation from last January in which, you know, they were outbid – um, by the Rams. And part of what Ron has, has, you know, made Ron uncomfortable about that was they wanted multiple early round picks as well as a core player. And Ron did not feel like his roster was, was at a point where they could sacrifice such assets and, and feel like they still had um, a good foundation. And, and yesterday for him to come out and say, I feel like our roster is in quote, a very good spot with quote, just a few pieces to upgrade. Um, that sort of then allows you to say, okay, if people want multiple picks, if people want a core player, then we'll have to discuss that. So for him to be open to being more aggressive, to giving up a level of capital he was not willing to before, that change in stance of what it's going to take to get a quarterback, that was the most notable thing to me. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think the funny thing with that, though, is they were they regressed in 2021. You know, the, the roster may be in better shape, but they – you know, same amount of wins, one more loss. They didn't make the playoffs. Like, it's interesting just kind of how, how they spin it. But no matter how they spin it, I mean, this is a huge year going in for them. And so I think they've reached, you know, they, they really can't get by on duct tape at the position. And that's what I was going to ask, too. Is that sentiment coming from where the roster really is or where they're at in the program, which is year three? I, I, yeah, I would say it's the latter. I mean, I think Washington does have like a, an okay supporting cast. I mean, I think receiver could be a lot better. Um, the offensive line is their strength. I, I think same with the defensive line. They've really built those positions out. But, you know, there's not – there are other situations around the league if I'm an Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson that would entice me more as good as Terry McLaurin is. You know, there there's not really a lot of – even the defense, that took a big step back. So, yeah, you know, it, it, it'll see. But I, I could see them being pretty aggressive uh, just in terms of their draft capital. And by the way, I'm trying to picture you as Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. It's it's not working for me quite yet, but but I'm going to continue trying that. <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, give Shanae Woodley a call. Or, you know. <laughs> I think you have a great shot. To me, it's almost a chicken or the egg thing. And, and Ron talked about that yesterday. You know, when you get a quarterback that elevates the rest of your team, right. uh, like we saw from Alex Smith down the stretch, I mean, when you have a quarterback that can make those throws, that can stay on the field at third down, then all of a sudden your defense becomes better, right? And um, so so to me, it, it's there's never going to be a perfect moment. There's never going to be – you're never going to have everything set and then go get the quarterback. I mean, obviously you would love to have, have improved this year, and I think that questions about this roster, particularly the defense after they regressed, are totally legitimate. But – I, I, you know, and, and I see, you know, comments from people or tweets, you know, oh, we got to build up this part or that part first. And, and to me, it's just if I think you have to at one point go get that guy. And, and obviously Ron points to Buffalo a lot as a model for this rebuild. And Buffalo went out and got an imperfect, if talented quarterback in the draft and, right. and Josh Allen um, in, in year two of the rebuild. And, and and he, as, as anybody remembers, had so many questions coming out, particularly about his accuracy, particularly mm-hmm. about how he would translate from Wyoming to the NFL. And, and they were able to develop him um, into a guy that is capable of bringing you to the AFC championship game, if not further so far. So 
I don't think there's ever a perfect time, but if you feel strongly that a guy has the talent and you're able to bring him along, I think you have to start that process now so that, you know, two or three years down the line, if you can make him that guy, then you can open that window, that championship window that you want to. And, and I think a big thing, too, to that point, because obviously Alan was they drafted him rather than going out and trading for a veteran, because my concern with that is always like, and it, I don't know which way they're going to go. I know they're going to be aggressive, um, aggressive looking for somebody. That And there's a difference because it doesn't mean you're going to be aggressive trading. You're going to be aggressive looking for it. But if you go out, let's say Derek Carr is available, and I always come back to him because I think there's a – there is I think that's probably more of a possibility of the veteran guys that you would trade for. But we don't know what – however, the Raiders are going to view him, um, whoever the new coach is, and how they view that. And then do you give up assets plus money for a guy like that? Are you Because that then suggests you're at a – you know, if you go up and trade for a quarterback in the draft, you're giving up a couple picks, most likely. Um, but if you're trading for a car, you're giving up picks plus cap space, which then inhibits a little bit more. So I think you you will find out exactly where their roster is at, where they feel it is, based on how aggressive they are making that move. To hit on the the quarterback point, the, the rookie quarterback point, I mean, I think what would be risky there is if you look at Allen's first year, they were six and ten, and they took a step back after year so would Washington have the patience to to take another like you know they wouldn't necessarily take a step back with the young quarterback but I think it's a realistic possibility and so I thought it was really telling that Rivera said yesterday that are you guys as in our report like the reporters are we going to give them enough patience for two years and you know if he's concerned about that sort of stuff rather than what you know Dan Snyder thinks uh, I think that's kind of telling as well. Yeah. yeah, and I think even you know going back to the middle of the season when he was talking about it, it takes three to five years to build a culture, obviously he is very aware not only of the conversation but also of the timeline that he is on, and I think that that's right. probably what contributes he, to him willing to be more aggressive. And he's been he's, – the third-year aspect has been a big topic with him with Carolina. That's where, that's where they had their first really good year. Um, and this will be his third year here. So he understands what that progression needs to be. He also seems pretty confident in, in getting there because he doesn't feel like a guy who feels like he's under intense pressure to get there, but he feels like a guy who truly believes that they can take that next step. Or am I reading that wrong? No, I think you're reading that right. Because I mean, even, I mean, he comes back to Curtis, you know, the number two wide receiver, Logan Thomas being healthy. I mean, there were some, I, I think when you think about this season, right, I think that he, it seems like he is focused most on, you know, that, that week seven to week 13 stretch right. where even though they lost to Green Bay and Denver, they played, they played relatively yeah. well. And then they had the four game win streak. Whereas the end, you can kind of chalk up to COVID tragedy, things that, things that were out of their control. The thing to me that is the m- most curious is why did you start so slow for six weeks? I mean, you right. know, did, you know, you didn't want to move Landon Collins or define his role. You know, you, you, what you, the William Jackson coverage situation was, was interesting. Obviously, you lose Ryan Fitzpatrick. There's nothing you can do about that. But there were some other decisions, some processes that, that led to that slow start that you, you kind of wonder, hey, are they going to be able to fix the root cause of these moving forward? Um, that, to me, is, is the big question because the end of the year, I kind of chalk up. The middle of the year was, was probably what they could be. That beginning of the year, are you able to address those root causes moving forward? Because that, to me, would determine right. you know, how good you think your roster is, really. And, that, and to me, like when I break down their season, I'm, I'm including that. Just like the end of the year with the issues, 
the beginning of the year, there were issues of your own making and, and mm-hmm. it was a poor play, whether it was improper spots, whatever. And I think you, I agree with you on that. You can't overlook that at the expense of saying, well, we would have made it if this, and I don't know that they are, um, but I certainly would not because you can't give them a pat. You can't just say, well, they would have done it because that or those early games, New Orleans, Denver really stick out. And even the chargers, if you play a little bit better in that game, as well as Herbert was throwing that ball, you still had it. You still could have won that game. So one last topic here, Jamin Davis, the outside linebacker. Now I think, you know, I know that they want to get a true middle linebacker and that's been clear for, for a little while, but what did you make of the comments regarding Jamin? Matt, let's start with you. I think it was kind of an interesting admission that they basically missed on their evaluation of him. You know, they can still be high on him as a player, but you know, they sold him as being a three down linebacker, someone who could be on the field. I think that's generally who they believed he could be. And the season showed that them that maybe that was an overestimation. And so how do you learn from that? Because even though this is Rivera's second year, this was his first year with this front office. He brought in Martin Mayhew and Marty Kearney and all those guys. And so for them, how are they going to correct this or how how are they going to be better in their evaluation process, especially for a first round pick, you know, you have to hit on those. And in Carolina, the problem that Rivera ran into, it wasn't necessarily the first round picks. It was the rest of the draft that right. um, kind of came back to bite him. And so if you're missing on first round picks and that that's problematic. And we don't know if they've missed on Jamie Davis completely. It's just, well, they talked about him being able to play middle linebacker. And now that's now, and listen, I talked to people before the draft who, and even after who felt like he was best outside. So I think they're seeing, but I, but it was mixed. And, and, you know, I think that's what we're seeing is that they view him just as an outside linebacker still has strength, speed length. Um, but we'll see. But what do you think, Sam? I went back and read Ron's comments um, after the draft, like right after they picked him and, and he talked about, you know, not only that they thought he could be a three-down linebacker, but he talked about how when he got to Zoom with Jamin one-on-one, he really thought that they were in sync, that they were, um, that they had a, a lot in common. And obviously, Jamin is, is a military brat as well. Um, you know, was born in Hawaii, moved around a lot. And and I, I think it was you, Paris, who asked Ron, you know, what happened to that evaluation. And he said. You know, I think it, it's really important to see these guys in person, and I right. think it's important to ask them harder questions. It, it, oh, you know, this coverage, what were you thinking here? Draw this out for me. And so you almost wonder if if Ron maybe fell in love with, with Jamin's makeup and his rise and, you know, the Tennessee pick six that he talked about um, a lot during that draft process. You wonder if he, he let those highlights and his optimism – Ron's a very optimistic guy, talks about that a lot yeah. – you know, color over – some of the concerns that they might've had about Jamin playing inside. And so um, I don't know what the solution to that is. Uh, obviously Ron talked about asking those tougher questions, but I don't know if, if you can fix those things going forward or how you safeguard against them. Um, but to me, this, this might've been just Ron being optimistic and, and loving the guy. Um, but if you feel like he can still be a productive player outside, obviously that's not a, a position that you want to have spent first round value on. Um, but you know, maybe it is something useful to learn moving forward. But I thought it was interesting to your point, and because he talked about diagramming what you're seeing and all that going through your plays, and the big thing in middle linebacker is being able to, you know, be able to process, relay, and then react to what's in front of you, and that is a lot. And that was a lot because it's also he's talked about too that's coming from a much different defense too. So, and he's he wasn't a true 
middle linebacker. Cole Holcomb is not a true middle linebacker. He's grown into it where he can play it, but he's not a true guy inside. So that's, that's what they need. And, and to that point, I thought one of the most interesting things off those 36 players we talked to on, on Monday was Cole Holcomb making a sort of yes. pitch. You know, I, I like middle linebacker. I want to be our veteran communicator answer. And Ron Rivera had talked earlier in the season about how Cole he didn't think was a great communicator coming into that role. And that was maybe why he and Jamin didn't perform up to expectations at linebacker. Um but it doesn't sound like the pitch was, was super effective with Ron because obviously he talked about wanting to go out and get a veteran yeah. guy, but it was interesting to me that Cole, you know, yeah. was pretty direct and, and said, I would like the chance to be that guy. Just to add on that quickly. I mean, if they add another middle linebacker, what does that mean for like one of those guys is going to get squeezed. And I know I agree. It's, 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 that's very true. It gives them, I will say, man, that's a good point. And it's, you, you're going to, you know, you're going to, if you want Landon Collins back and you're going to have Davis there too, you're going to want Landon to take a pay cut. Um, and then who, you know, how does that play time work out? But it gives you some flexibility with schemes, but the, you know, those players can't all be on the field at the same time. Hey guys, I appreciate your time. This is great insight. People will enjoy this and they'll learn a thing or two. So thanks a lot for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having us, Con. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Sam and Matt for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with another episode on Friday. Talk to you next time.